Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Let's give the Lord a hand for Sean. Always unpredictable. How are you guys? Man, so many friends came out this morning. Um, so glad to see Justin and Tiffany Bueller and their whole family here that made the trek from Kent. And Steve Abley that came from Winchester. I don't know where you are back there. Um, Jeremy and Angie Perigo that came all the way from, I don't even know where you guys live, somewhere far from here. And then uh, my good buddy Joseph Samuel from the U.S., raise your hand. He's here as well. So anyway, it's just so fun. I got to be honest with you. When I, um, I just, as Rod was saying, I just um, am coming back from a trip um, to Mozambique. Uh, it's an annual trip that I do every year with uh, just a great mom in the, in the faith to us, Heidi Baker. And um, I swear she saves the most wild outreaches on earth for when I show up there. And this trip was no exception. How many of you guys are familiar with her and what's happening in Mozambique? Just to give you a little heads up, um, Heidi, um, the Lord commissioned her. Um, you guys familiar with the Toronto blessing that happened years ago? Well, um, she was a burnout missionary with literally no, hardly any fruit after 10 years of serving the Lord across so many nations was just burnout. She showed up at Toronto, was literally stuck to the carpet for seven days in the glory, like could not move, like was incapacitated, was undone. And something happened to her in that thing. There was this infusion of anointing and power and intimacy. And she left Toronto, went to Mozambique. The Lord said, go to the poorest of the poor. At the time, Mozambique was the poorest nation on the earth. And they've been there, I think, 18 years. They've seen 10,000 churches planted. They've seen 285 verified raisings of the dead. Um, it is a modern missions miracle that will be talked about for generations. And so it's such a privilege to go and get to partner with that. And when I was looking at the flight itineraries, I think I thought I was like 24 again, because I'm starting to feel it after all these years. I travel to about 30 different nations a year, about a quarter of a million miles every year. And I thought, you know, I could go through London on the way back hang out with my friends, get excited about what God's doing. Da, 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 da. And my wife's like, you're crazy. I don't know if you should do this. Remember, you're leaving from Mozambique. You're going to be so tired because we do these bush outreaches that are like way out in the bush. And, um, but I booked it. And then I definitely had second thoughts last night. <laughs> I got on the plane in Johannesburg and the team that I brought with me this year, um, they were on the plane next to me that was going to JFK nonstop to the U.S. and I was going to London. And I sat down and um, this huge Afrikaans guy, probably 300 pounds, South African farmer guy, sits down in the seat next to me, literally takes up half of my seat. And all night long, he's just leaning into me and snoring. And I thought, oh God, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. 
I show up at the airport, very little sleep last night, and um, of course, and the immigration guy at Heathrow's like, why would you do this to yourself? Why do you have an, a seven or six hour layover? And I said, oh, I just got some friends I want to see, da, da, da. And he says, well, you must like them a lot. So anyway, I'm excited to be here. And I knew, I just, there's some things that are on my heart I want to share. And I just want to pray first. And just let's open our hearts up to what the Lord wants to receive. I really felt last weekend when I was in Mozambique, of course, news of what happened in Paris and the attacks there, Belgium and all this stuff um, came to the forefront. And I knew in that moment it wasn't an accident that the Lord had called me to be here this Sunday. And I had been watching just a couple snippets on the news about how Londoners especially were gripped with fear. There was people that were like, I don't even want to leave to go to work. I don't want to get out of my house. I'm scared. And, you know, there's all these, you know, fear of attacks and this intimidation and this whole spirit. Because, you know, the battle's not against flesh and blood, right? You guys with me this morning? But it's a principality and a power that releases fear and intimidation. And I just felt like maybe this morning... We have the opportunity to choose a different storyline. What if this was the day where we left here and all fear and anxiety and panic was incinerated off of us? What if this was a game changer for us? Now, obviously, I mean, we've been living over the last two years with this threat of ISIS, the most sophisticated, um, well-funded, savvy terror group that's ever existed on the face of the earth. It's a real enemy. But I feel like more than even just the rise of radical Islam, I feel like the enemy is using this thing to push Christians into a corner where we're intimidated, where we're shaken, and it's like we don't know who we are anymore. And I just feel like this is the greatest hour for London, for the UK, for Europe, This is the moment where Christians shine. This is the moment where we become filled with joy and confidence that God's going to do everything he said he would do. Amen. So I want to share some testimonies, but let's just pray. Just lift your hands. Thank you, Father, this morning that we have not received a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would equip us and mantle us in a spirit of confident and confidence and courage for the day that we live in, God. We thank you, God, and we celebrate what you're doing across the UK, what you're doing across Europe, what you're doing across the world. And we thank you, God, to be alive at such a time as this, in Jesus' name. Turn to someone next to you and say, choose your storyline. Now, I'm going to have um, a couple of my friends share just briefly. But first, I want to turn to Colossians 1. Um, this, is a, uh, this is a verse that I often read. I, I'm pretty sure I've read it here before. In moments and seasons like this, Colossians is a book that's full of hope. I just can't get away from it. It's one that just radiates and emits hope and life and perspective. And I want to read from the, uh, from the Passion Translation. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this. A good friend of mine is, uh, and a team of, of scholars 
uh, are working on this translation, and it's just, it's just a great, I just love the way it articulates certain verses. So I want to start in Colossians 1, verse 3. And uh, I just want to kind of read this over you guys. It says this, Every time we pray for you, our hearts overflow with thanksgiving to Father God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your devoted lives of faith and the tender love you have for all his holy believers. And from the first time we have heard about your conversion until now, we faithfully prayed for you, that you would access your destiny through all the treasures of your inheritance stored up in the heavenly realm. For the revelation of the true gospel is as real today as the day you first heard of our glorious hope. It's as real today. Now that you have believed in the manifestation of God, verse 6, this is the wonderful message, say wonderful message, that is being spread everywhere, powerfully changing hearts throughout the earth, just like it has changed you. Every believer of this good news bears the fruit of eternal life as they experience the reality of God's grace. So, I was with Heidi and this team of Mozambican pastors, which it's so refreshing to be with these guys because the gospel is so simple. It carries very little trappings and religious things of the West, and it's just the raw gospel, right? It just works. And so we're with these guys, and many of them used to be on the street. They used to be ex-Muslims. They used to be, I mean, they all have the crazy stories. One of the pastors we were with tried to kill himself by drinking uh, a whole gallon of gasoline. Heidi was driving on the street, saw this guy leaned over, basically shaking and dying, and prayed for him. He threw up the gasoline. He got healed, saved. Now he's one of the main church leaders in Mozambique. And these are like these guys' stories, you know. And so we travel with these guys. We found there was this village that they had been wanting to go to that was about a 12-hour car ride through the jungle um, or through the bush, like no paved roads. I mean, this is Mozambique. This is like the bush of Africa, right? And thank God, Iris Ministries got given a plane a couple years ago. So they had this plane, and uh, which makes a 12-hour drive, an hour and a half flight. But the problem is there's not always runways to land this plane, Right? So we're calling this village. They're like, we want you to come. And we're like, do you have a runway? And they're like, we're working on it. And Heidi's like, what do you mean you're working on it? Well, we have guys out there cutting the trees down right now in the bush. You know, and we're talking to these guys and they're like, yeah, we think it's long enough. And they're talking to the pilots and these pilots are amazing guys. They fly with mission uh, MAF and and they do this stuff all over the world. And, And the guys are kind of trying to explain to these Africans like, how long it needs to be, how wide it needs to be, da-da-da-da-da. So we get to the airport. We have all this promise in our heart. Now, this village has been one of the most resistant villages in Mozambique to any outside influence. The Muslims tried to come there 20 years ago, could not convert one person. Then the Catholics came 10 years ago, could not convert one person. Each time the people turned back to animalistic you know, their, their animism and, and their witch doctors and all the stuff that they believe in, they just reverted back to that, worshiping trees and rocks and all that stuff. And Haya just had this in her heart, like God wants to break open this people group. This village is ours, you know. And uh, 
we just got the news of the attacks in Paris. Of course, we were praying, you know, pressing into God. We, have, we actually have a buddy there who leads the burn in Paris, and he was supposed to do 24 hours of worship that night. They were supposed to start that night. And when uh, the government, when the attacks happened, they closed the borders down, and they wouldn't allow anybody to gather together. And, of course, this guy, this French guy, he's like, some of the French are so fiery. Like the Christians, you know what I'm talking about? They, and, like, when they pray, especially when it's, like, intense warfare, it always sounds like Shakespeare. <laughs> like, it's, like, one of my favorite things. Like it's, like, it's like this romantic, like, form of intercession, you know? And this guy was, was talking to one of our leaders. He's like, we still have to burn. We still have to burn. And so we got people together in his house, and they worshiped through the night. But our hearts were heavy for Paris, but we knew the Lord was calling us to this village and the Lord was like, spoke to me. He's like, Sean, I want to show you a different storyline. I want to show you a different storyline. I want you to see up front and close the gospel of the kingdom that is prevailing across the earth, you know. So we got in the plane. We're about to leave the Pemba airport. And we're, we haven't gotten clearance from the authorities to land in this, in this supposed runway. Because the runway hasn't been built yet. So we're trying to talk to them, work with them. You know, Heidi's doing her African thing, trying to work, you know, like just, you know, which is basically keep going until they say yes, you know. And then somebody that knows somebody owed somebody a favor because somebody was teaching them English. And they said, we, in the government, they're like, we owe you a favor. And so long story short, the officials actually let us leave. But they were like, we're washing our hands. If your plane crashes and you don't land, like it's, it's on you. And I was like, I turned to Heidi when we were leaving. I'm like, have, have, have these guys like built a runway before? Like, is this? And she's like, oh, she's like, I think it's going to be fine, you know. And, and I'm like, I mean, because it's a big plane. It's, it's a 12-seater plane, you know. And it's a bush plane, but it definitely needs like a flat surface to land on, you know. So anyway, we take off on a wing and a prayer, hoping these guys know what they're doing to create a runway, Right. So anyway, and, you know, the GPS and where the runway is, like, we just don't even know. Like, how are we going to find this place, right? So we're flying about an hour and a half, and we're all on the plane, like, you know, praying, like, God, make a place for us to land, you know? And we're just praying in the plane, and we're, like, pacing back and forth. And sure enough, we come onto the GPS coordinates, and we see kind of like this hill with, like, a little bit of clearing on it. And we see guys down there with machetes, like cutting at trees, right? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, and, and, and so these, these, these missionary aviation pilots are circling. Literally, we circled it 10 times. And they're going low and trying to see. Well, and I'm, I have the headset on, so I'm listening to them. And they're like, yeah, that tree might be too much on the runway. Can we get them to cut that tree down? And we're like pointing. We're pointing at the runway while we fly, like, cut that tree, you know? So the guys run out there. They're cutting the tree. I mean, it's crazy, right? So we finally muster up the courage after circling 10 times. Let's just land this thing and hope for the best, right? Now, this is a $1.7 million plane. So it's like a, it's a big deal, like, you know, and it's like how they do ministry in the farthest corners of Africa. So... And Heidi's like, I just think we need to land. I think God's going to move the trees. I think it's going to be awesome, you know? So anyway, we come down, and I mean, it was the roughest landing I've ever been a part of. 
ever flying. And we landed, like, literally, we came right up to about three feet to that pillar right there, which would have been a whole row of trees. Like, we barely cleared it. And there's 500 villagers when we open the plane door, just singing and dancing and, and, and welcoming us to their village, right? So we go to the village. We set up this, you know, this truck with this screen, show the Jesus film. And then we start preaching about Jesus. And before we get to the salvation part, what always opens the hearts of these people is when God heals them. You know, a lot of Christians believe you have to be saved as a prerequisite for healing, but that's not actually how it works. God loves to heal regardless. No strings attached, right? So we call down, the first thing we do is just call down people that are deaf. Like everybody that the whole town knows are deaf. So there's five people that are completely deaf, that everybody in the town knows they're deaf. A couple of them were born deaf. One of them... um, was this lady who had just gotten married. She, can, she barely has any hearing at all. She came down with her baby, and her husband came down. And one by one, every single person's ears were opened. One by one. And, of course, the town is freaking out, right? They're all losing their mind. And the last one was my favorite one because the, the, the girl that came up, she had just had a baby, I think she was like 19, got married, just had a baby. And we were praying over her. And then we had her husband back up, call her name, back up, call her name, back up until he was about 40 feet away and she kept turning around. And the two of them, the husband and wife, just started to weep. They crumbled into the dirt because she's never really been able to hear her husband's voice. Isn't that beautiful? And so, of course, everybody wants to get saved. The whole village, all in one swoop, comes to Jesus that night. The next morning, the, the village chiefs are there. Like there's, there's five chiefs over the village. And they come together and they share the story about for years they've resisted any outside influence. But after watching Jesus heal people, they couldn't resist. This is the real God. And they pledged their village for the first time in history to be a village where the presence of God rests. And there was this, one of, one of the most amazing moments was watching this chief. And, you know, in Africa, like, men cannot show emotion, especially if you're a chief, like, it's a big deal. And this chief in front of everybody just breaks down sobbing and goes, this is the real God. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the real God. And just crying like a little baby. And every, we all just lost it. Then, typical outreach fashion, all of them want to get baptized. All of them, right? But the problem is it's the dry season and there's no rivers for like two hours away. So we pile in these trucks, truck after truck after truck, and we just start trucking people out to find a river that we think still has water in it and crocodiles. Two hours we drove into the bush. We finally found a river. And I can't wait. I got video of this. It is one of the most outrageous baptisms I've ever seen. It took us about three hours to baptize everybody. And then spontaneously, after 
we were done baptizing, they erupted into this wild, joyful party where everyone was splashing and worshiping and singing and dancing. And then when we went to leave, because we had to get back on the plane because I had a flight and a couple other people, they brought out to us two doves and a huge banana, a huge branch full of bananas as their gift. And they said, you brought us peace. You brought us life. You brought us Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Choose your storyline. Like we can be people that result to fear mongering and panic. You know, I, how many of you guys are familiar with the whole blood moon thing? A couple of you. <laughs> I was in Texas when the uh, end of the world was supposed to happen for the, for the fifth time. Like I'm not really that old, but I've survived, I think, five or six endings of the world. And I'm still alive, you know. And I was in Texas, and these poor Christians, man, they were like, the blood moon. We got to get into our bunker and get our water and get our guns because the end is coming. You know, just fully engrossed in fear. Now, I got to be honest, if the end of the world did happen, I would want to be in Texas. Probably. But I was shocked at how they had bought in to this panic scenario where it was like, let's get into a bunker with our guns and our wives and our kids and pray that God would rescue us out of this hellhole called the earth. And I thought, if that's become the basis of our theology, no wonder we're hooked on prescription meds. No wonder our lives are filled with fear and panic and intimidation. Because we, we, we've forgotten that we are the answer. We've forgotten that the darker, the night, the brighter, the sun. We've forgotten that at the, at the time when it seems like all hell is breaking loose, the Isaiah 6 reality is the fact that all of heaven is declaring right now over London, the whole city is full of his glory. And I believe now more than ever, the Lord is looking for a people that will come up a little bit higher, a little bit higher, that will rise. In the, and this is why I love worship. This is why I love the presence of God. This is why worship and intercession, like these are the days of the greatest crescendo of worship the UK's ever known. One of the things I get so excited about and I love about this church is y'all know how to get crazy. Y'all know how to sing and dance. And I remember specifically, I don't know how many of you guys were at David's tent, but I think we were all shocked when your, when your whole squad got up there and whatever happened, happened. It was like a blowout of joy, glory. It was like, like an otherworldly experience. And to me, it represented a new sound that the Lord wanted to release over the UK. One that was full of joy, one that was rooted in confidence and courage that God's going to have the final say over this nation. And so any chance I can get to come and hang out with you guys or speak to you or encourage you, to me, it's just, it's just a thrill. And I want to share a few more testimonies. Um, I actually want you to turn to Hebrews 10. Um, just a little encouragement from the, the U.S. side. We embarked on a very ambitious, very wild thing that's never happened in 
I guess you could say, modern history. Uh, on September 11th this year, we helped launch a 10,000-hour worship and prayer service in between, in between the White House and the Washington Monument in the heart of our nation. 10,000 hours, which adds up to about one and a half years. Now, I don't know how this, like, I don't know if y'all are getting what I'm saying. Like, that means from September 11th till next November, election day, someone will be worshiping and singing and adoring Jesus in the heart of downtown Washington, D.C. Every day when Air Force One and senators and presidents and people fly in, they have to fly over this little white tent full of glory, full of presence. And before I left on this trip, I actually went down and led worship. I, I made the commitment, you know, every month, you know, we're just, this is part of our heart. And I was shocked. I was shocked, first of all, that we would get five three-month permits from the U.S. government for the most coveted piece of property in America that they would block out all political rallies. They canceled a Lady Gaga concert. That they would cancel everything and they would block out for us. I mean, I think sometimes we got to understand, like, God... God actually has a higher, like, heart and desire in all of heaven to see day and night worship and prayer than we could ever imagine. And, uh, and when I was down there, it was just kind of this surreal experience. I mean, we've done this four years in a row, but, I mean, you can, I challenge you, look throughout revival history or modern history, you'll never find in a public capital city a year and a half of nonstop worship and prayer. I mean, it's happened throughout history with the Moravians in a refugee village in East Germany. It's happened with the Celts. It's happened with the Welsh. It's happened at different points, but never in a large metropolis city that's actually the, the political epicenter of America. But in our day, it's happening. Two million dollars it's going to cost. When these guys started, you know, it was funny. They were like, <laughs> they called me up. They're like, Sean. I think we're supposed to go for a year and a half. And I was like, like not stopping for a year and a half. And they're like, yeah, man, we just, we have to do it. We have to do it. You know? And I said, we, we did 40 days last year. Let's maybe try 50 days. Let's grow into this. You know, let's, let's kind of, you know, let's use wisdom here. And they're like, no, we feel this is the timing of the Lord. This is the hour for America. We have to do it. And I said, how much is it going to cost? About 2 million. How much do you have? About 50,000. Okay, next, you know. How many people do you have? Well, we have about 20 staff, and we figure with 20 staff, with all these sets, if we get some help, we could probably go for a month. And I was like, well, what about the other 14 months? But you know what? They took a stand, they pressed in, and right now, this thing has the attention of senators, of congressmen, like main news outlets are stopping by the worship tent every day to get an update on what God's saying and doing. I and mean, isn't this crazy? So in, you know, the darker the night, the brighter the day, when things get crazy, another, another testimony. Um, I, uh, I was in Indonesia a couple months ago. And I was um, in this, Indonesia is the largest Muslim nation in the world, 350 million Muslims. But yet right now I was experiencing maybe one of the most profound revivals in the world. I mean, it's just crazy how many people are getting saved and churches are being planted. 
So I'm with this Indonesian pastor and, um, who also happens to be a billionaire. It's like, that's nice. When you're a billionaire and you're a pastor. Like, they don't have church budget issues there, you know. And it's funny because he's like, I know the Lord called me into business, but I really wanted to do ministry. And I just thought, you know, once I became a billionaire, I just thought we could build a big church and do anything and plant churches, whatever. And so anyway, he's this billionaire that as a pastor. And, um, and I come up to him and I go, you know, I'm, he's telling me all these stories about how God's moving across the islands of Indonesia. All these Muslim strongholds are now becoming revival epicenters, you know. And so I'm like, hey, I'm like, what is the statistics, you know, because I love sharing stories. I love encouraging people that, that don't hear about this on BBC, you know. And so I, I say, you know, so how many Muslims are getting saved? Is it like, you know, a few every hour, of, you know, is one every minute? And he starts laughing at me. He's like, man, you Americans, you're so far behind. He goes, right now in Indonesia, a Muslim every seven seconds is coming to Jesus. Every seven seconds. In India right now, they're, they're not releasing the census data. The government for the last five years has withheld releasing the census data of people groups and how they've grown in their religion because they're so scared. Because right now, five to ten percent of India is Christian. And they're worried that when the Hindus and the Muslims see how many Christians have been saved, they'll just be a, an, an uproar. Many people right now, they're predicting India is going to surpass China in terms of population because they didn't have a one-child policy. So they're about 1.2 billion people. And they're predicting in the next 10 to 15 years, it'll be the largest nation in the world. And they're saying that the, the kingdom and the gospel is expanding so fast right now that, that it's possible in the next 20 years, that India could be 50% Christian. That's amazing. That's kind of like a nice British, like, tennis. Like, wow, that's great. Like, I'm giving you guys gold. Like, like, I'm giving you, like, I'm giving you the best news you've heard all week. And I got a lot more to give, too. So, um... But let's turn to Hebrews 10. And I want to actually, I want to invite Tiffany to come up here. And I want to invite Jeremy to come up here real quick before I read this. Now, I can keep going with all these testimonies. Oh, one more as these guys are coming up. This is really fun. So I'm in Israel two months ago, right? We're doing this 24-hour worship deal, which we love doing. We're with Arabs. We're with Jews. We're with Russians. It's a whole hodgepodge of just wildness, right? We're on Mount Carmel. Anybody remember what Mount Carmel was? Okay, that's where the fire came down. Elijah, the whole deal, burned it up, da-da-da. So friends of mine have a church there. And they built this church with an open skylight. And they're just nuts, right? It's one of the only places in Israel where you can get Jews and Arabs worshiping together. And they actually love each other. Like, you'll have a worship team. This is so cool. Where you have like an Arab drummer and like a Jewish like guitar player. Like, do you realize how crazy that is? The one new man worshiping together. You know, it's amazing. So anyway, we're up there. We're doing 24 hours of worship. Right in the middle of this, right as like actually my set is coming, like some yahoos in Syria decide to launch five rockets into Israel. 
And it just so happens that we're right on the border of Lebanon and Syria. And so this, the, the rockets are like coming our way, right? So the bomb alarm's going off. And, you know, they have, I mean, this is like, these guys live with this stuff. You know, everyone has a bomb shelter and da-da-da-da-da. And so, you know, I'm looking at the, the Jewish and Arab guy that are leading worship together. Because I'm going up next. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, you know, the bomb alarm's going off. And all these, all the Israelis are getting... You know, they're getting text updates on their phone. Like, five rockets have been shot from Syria, da-da-da-da-da, take cover. They're all getting these updates, you know. And I said, hey, um, I'm trying to, like, be real discreet because we're, like, trying to change sets, you know. And I go, I go hey, uh, like, we, we could, like, I'm up next. So, like, we could do a transition. And I could, we could, we could transition to the bomb shelter, you know, <laughs> j- just for one set, you know, because, you know, we, you have a big bomb shelter down there and like, it's, it's great. Like I could bring my guitar. We could just kind of go acoustic. These guys looked at me as if I said I killed their grandma or something. Like they looked at me and they were like, are you kidding me? They're like, we're worshiping through the storm. Like we're not leaving, you know? And, and of course I'm trying to play it cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah, totally. It's fine. Fine. You know, fine. It's all good. It's all good. So we get up there and we worship and these alarms are so loud. Like they're so loud and the loud. And of course, Israel then fires back, you know, five rockets. And it's just like literally over our head is a war. And we're in the middle of the war and these guys are unflinching. They're like, God has positioned us here. There's protection over our head. We're not going to let the worship stop. And I learned a lot that day about courageous worship. Looking in the eyes of this Jewish guitar player and this Arab drummer. And looking at the fierceness and the intensity of the environment that they live in. And I was thinking, these guys, this is like their climate. They deal with this every day. And it's caused them to either buy into the belief that God has them here for such a time as this. Or shrink back. And they've chosen to buy in. And I thought we could use this impartation all over the Western world. So I want these guys to share real quick, Tiffany, and then, and then we're going to read this verse. And then we're absolutely, I just felt like this morning, the storyline in many of our lives is going to shift. I believe God's going to blast us with a grace and a mantle of confidence like we've never known. And I believe that the wilder and crazier things get, the happier, the more joyful, and the more courageous we're going to become. You guys with me? We need churches that are filled with confidence that will not back down. We need churches, we need worshipers that will stand up and declare the beauty of who he is despite the circumstances. This is not a retreating back moment. This is advancing. This is what the gospel's done for 2,000 years. So Tiffany's going to come up. Tiffany leads the burn in the UK. Let's give it up for her. Her and Justin. And, um, you know, when we first kind of started doing worship and prayer across the UK, it's funny because we got a lot of flack. You know, you can't do this. It's too radical. People don't get it. They don't understand it. Don't bring your American worship thing over here. And, um, but what we began to realize is that there's, there's a sound in the ground here. There's a sound. There's an unearthing of a sound that's been dormant, you know. 
And our whole heart has been to serve and promote and build a platform and encourage and, and raise this sound up. And so right now we have, how many burns across the UK? Almost 30 different furnaces of worship and prayer all across the UK. Isn't that awesome? And I want Tiff just to give you a little update. So, um, yeah, it's just exciting because I think the last time I was here, uh, maybe two years ago, I was able to give an update and it just, it's continuing to grow. It's just, um, chatting with Sean in the car and I've kind of been getting stirred throughout the morning about what God is doing in the nation and just watching on the news this last week, I really felt like God spoke to me and he said, you know, while, while evil is on the rise, so is his spirit and his presence is actually, and that is part of what he's infusing into the UK. And so as we're watching the worship and prayer movement, not even just in the burn, but in all across the UK, I just hear testimony after testimony of filling stations and 24 seven prayer and, you know, a living room gatherings of people just worshiping night and day. There's incense rising across the nation. And, and I, and it's that worship changes atmospheres, you know, that's, that's beginning to happen across the, the UK. And I feel personally so encouraged. I like every day I'm like, I just pinch myself that I get to be here and be um, privileged to be a part of what God's doing in this nation and be so close to what I feel is something that's going to begin to um, explode across the nations into Europe and into Eastern Europe. And we'll probably hear a little bit about that with Jeremy. But um, yeah, every year, even with David's tent, we just see a greater hunger and a greater freedom coming for the body of Christ as they're kind of tapping into who they are as sons and daughters in this place of worship and pursuing the presence of God. And it's just been exciting for me over the last four, five years now that we've been here to see the growth and the expansion. And really just want to encourage you guys today that God is so on the move and his presence is so invading the nation of the UK and to the point where we can't actually shrink back in fear. We get to hold on to the hope. And if I could, I just want to encourage you to, because I, when I was worshiping behind you, I really kept hearing that, um, that scripture, I'll read it appropriately. Cause sometimes I paraphrase scriptures. Um, Isaiah 61 for you. They will be called oaks, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I kept hearing him say, I will plant you. I will plant you. I will plant you. And I feel like you are already planted here, but there's something more about just saw this beautiful, beautiful oak tree. And then as I kind of sat there and watched it, I saw this road opening and all of these oaks being planted across this oak, this road, these oaks of righteousness. And I heard that scripture, um, the days of the, the righteous shine brighter like the noonday sun. And I just saw this brightness coming, feeling like God's really planting and establishing you guys. And, and I'm watching this planting of these oaks happening more, but I think there's more to that for you guys. I just want to encourage you for all you're doing here. Woo. Another cool thing is we have um, Dr. Jeremy Perigo. Get the doctor part right. He's the doctor of the burn movement. And um, meaning he's really smart. And he, um, he just returned back from northern Iraq. Where from, they were probably about 30, 30 miles from the ISIS headquarters there in Iraq. Outside of, um, you know, Mosul. They were not far from there. And they just finished a hundred hour burn gathering with nations all over the Middle East just to worship and pray for a canopy of God's glory to fill that nation. Who wants to hear about that? Isn't that awesome? Now I want to point this out 
Because a lot of people don't understand this, and I, I had the privilege to be over there, and I, I won't go into my story. We, we actually ended up going to the front lines. We got to worship about 100 to 200 yards from the actual ISIS front line. It was a crazy experience. It was wild. My wife got mad at me at the, at the end because it was funny because I told her, hey, babe, I have this awesome opportunity to go to the front. I called her from Iraq to go to the front lines, and she thought that was like a ministry name. She's like, oh, frontline ministry, that's cool. She didn't know it was actually the front lines, you know. But, but I want him to share this testimony because, you know, ISIS is conveniently positioning themselves in Mosul, which just so happens to be ancient Nineveh. Anybody remembers what happened in Nineveh? Come on, you guys, you guys Bible readers with me here? Okay. Okay, Nineveh is the greatest single story of revival in the history of the world. One grumpy prophet turned a whole town. It says even the animals had sackcloth. Like everybody turned in a moment. So you think God might be up to something? You guys with me? So you got to come up a little bit higher and see what he's saying. But, but come, Jeremy, share with us. What did God do? What happened? Prophesy. Drop. You know, I'm, I'm much less spiritual than Sean and Pastor Rod. When I, when I see the news, when I'm on the plane, my first response is probably the natural response of fear. Even on the tube last Sunday coming into town with my daughter, there's that natural response of fear. Anybody else unspiritual like me sometimes? But there also is a supernatural response. Fear is natural. David was afraid right? David was concerned, but God gives us a supernatural response and that's faith. And many of us need that gift of faith. That gift of faith arose in me just two weekends ago in in Northern Iraq. As as I watch the news, I get, I get sad. I get fearful of our friends who are missionaries there. But as, as I stood there, faith arose. The governments of the earth are paralyzed with fear. They don't know how to respond. But in tiny, small ways, with tiny mustard seeds of faith, the church in Iraq is exploding in growth. Young, young Yazidi girls, every week, 15 of them, come into this small house, not run by the government. These are girls that were kidnapped by ISIS and then either bought, bought back by a ministry or they escaped. And these 15 girls, every, every two weeks, come to this house run by Christians. And one of them is, is my, my, wife's, my mother-in-law, my wife's mom, who, who serves there. These 15 girls who have no hope, they do not want to live. The atrocities they've been with, the, the, what they've experienced, as you can imagine, just you've, what you've seen on the news. But in two weeks, they are filled with faith and hope. As people pray for them, as counselors work with them and deal with their situations, as they, they grow in art therapy and as they, they have times of, of ministry. And then after those two weeks, the government says, okay, now we can take them. The church is, is, is the vanguard in this situation. Same thing in, in the, uh, the other part. These were all people that were just coming together for this 100-hour gathering and these stories that were just arising that, that caused faith to arise in my heart. In, in northern Iraq, on the Turkish... Iranian border, there was about, about, I think it was, yeah, about 500 folks. So it's about, about 10 Middle Eastern families with 500 folks 
had had to move from, from Mosul. And so they were, they were living there in, in, in busted out kind of houses and living, you know, just wherever they could. And there was a group there that were working with, with young children that had just built this beautiful community center. And the mayor comes to them and says, there's these 500 people. The UN won't do anything about them. We don't have any money as, as the city, but me, the Muslim mayor of this city, know that you are Christians. Can you please help? And now that community has five small micro-refugee camps. And right now, they, they've been intense last year. And for the winter, it gets cold in the mountains, as you know, like here in, in, in the UK. They're now building small houses for these families to live. Now, this, is, this isn't the UN. This isn't the government. This isn't even the mayor. This is the church in the right place at the right time, responding with faith. The last thing I just want to share is, is during this 100-hour gathering where all these different missionaries and Arab Christians and Jewish Christians and, and Turkish Christians and, and some Brits and Americans were there too. As, as we sat there for 100 hours, one of the Jewish worship leaders began to, began to, to, to pray. And as, as he prayed, an Egyptian believer and an Assyrian believer and a Kurdish believer began to pray over him. And there was just a special moment of reconciliation that echoes Isaiah 19 about the, the, the road of worship from Jerusalem up through Syria, through Egypt. And, and this Egyptian, strong, tough, amazing pastor and this, this Assyrian believer began to just wash this Jewish believer's feet and said, forgive us, forgive our people for what we've done. Now, this is three people in a group of 300. That will never be on BBC or Al Jazeera or anything. But from these places of darkness, reconciliation, hope, and faith is arising. And I just encourage you, as, as the turmoil continues and the world continues to be turned upside down, to not respond in fear, but ask for the gift of faith and respond with that faith. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. Anybody feel encouraged? All right, so here we go. Hebrews, Hebrews 10. This is the verse for you guys. Hebrews 10.35. Now, a little bit of my axe to grind, if you will, is I believe this is a season like never before where we desperately need confident sons and daughters who are Brits who can rise up and press in for the destiny of the nation. And I, I, I believe there's a lot that I'm with today. And I just want to, I want to read this over you guys. Verse 35, it says this, Hebrews 10, 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now I feel like the church hasn't done the best job at rewarding confidence. And, you know, gr even growing up me, you know, I was very misunderstood sometimes. And, you know, David was very misunderstood. Paul was very misunderstood. Moses was very misunderstood. It's been hard and difficult for us to bring the distinction between arrogance and confidence. And in the church, and I've seen this all over the UK, if anybody has confidence or a hint, a hint of, of, of rising up, it's like we got to bring them back down. We got to put them in church timeout. They got to be humble. They got to gravel on the ground. And now they can, we can rise them back up. And it's like, you know what? Now more than ever, we need confidence. We need to destroy passivity. You know? And I, so anyway, I just, I feel, you know, so do not throw your confidence. I was thinking about David, you know, how David, 
you know, he came to the front, he came to the front lines, you know, with Goliath and, you know, he was on a routine assignment, very routine. David, you're 15, 16 years old is what many theologians believe. Bring this bread to your brothers who are fighting the battle, which is a normal job, right? It's the mundane assignment for many of you in your mundane assignments, God's going to crash in, right? So David's doing his mundane assignment. He goes to the front lines and he goes, who the heck is this guy? And why is everyone listening to his crap? Are you guys with me? He rises up in a spirit of indignation and he goes, I cannot believe you're letting this guy say this. And what did his brothers say? His brothers came to him, you know, said, David, you're just here because you're wicked. You're just here because you want to be part of the action. You're here because you're arrogant. You want to get a selfie with Goliath. You know, you just want to be a part of the action. And they misinterpret his, his, his confidence for arrogance. And listen, guys, in the church, we have lost hold of confidence. We've created an atmosphere where people just got to play nice. And in the UK, I'm like, you guys aren't playing nice. You're warriors. This is a culture full of warriors, full of lion-hearted leaders, you know? So it says, do not throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. You know, one, one more story. Jesus, his disciples are hanging out with him. This is a great story, right? They say the most idiotic thing anyone could ever say. Hey, who's going to be the best? Right? We've all read that before and we're like, you idiots, you know? Like, they're hanging out with Jesus and they're having an argument about who's going to be the greatest. You want to know my favorite part about that story? Jesus never rebuked them. You know, it, it's kind of funny. You think about it. You're like, man, that was such a boneheaded thing to do. Like at least Jesus, you could have rebuked them. You could have made them gravel on the ground and tell them, you know, how they've lost it. And da, da. But Jesus said, you know, he said, wow, you want to be great. I actually put that desire in you. So I'm going to tell you how to be great. Whoever is the least among these is the greatest. Unless you become like a little child. And he began to give them the tools for greatness. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't put them in time out. He didn't demote them. He actually said, I love your desire to be great. I love that you have a heart to be great. And I want to show you how to do it. So it says, verse 36. You need to persevere. Say persevere. So that when persevere, I love that. Oh, if I could speak any amazing accent, it would definitely be. Okay. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. There's a work of perseverance. James says that perseverance must finish its work. You know, another term that I like to use is that perseverance is, is the pathway to see the promises fulfilled. They only come through perseverance. They only come through tenacity. You know, Heidi, one of the things that so moves me, she is the most tenacious person I've ever met. She refuses to accept no. No, you can't land. There's, you can't land. There's no runway. Wow, they're making a runway. What about when they make it? What about if we get there and they make it? I mean, she just continues to persevere through corruption, through all the issues in Africa. I mean, I would have given up. I wanted to give up. Every day I want to give up. Like, can we just go sit somewhere cool? It was like 98 degrees. Can we just sit and like have a Coke for a minute? Like a cold Coke, 
like cold, you know, in AC somewhere. But she's just this tenaciousness inside of her refuses to give up. And because of it, they're seeing a nation transformed. A nation that even the UN wrote off. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you receive what he's promised. Verse 37, four, in just a little while, he who is coming will come. Love that verse. It's not up for debate, guys. He's actually coming. Turn to someone and say, he's coming. Like, and our confidence is in our own ability or our own anointing or our own good ideas. Our confidence is the fact that he's going to do what he said he would do. Like he is returning, in case you're wondering, to a place on planet earth called the Mount of Olives, a physical location where his feet are going to touch. The whole world's going to see him. He's going to bust through the Eastern gate. Like this stuff is going to happen. It will happen. And so our confidence is that he's going to do what he said he would do. Verse 38. This is where it gets really good. But my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. This is the season where I want to run across the UK. I want to run across America. I want to run across France. And I want to go, will the real Christian stand up? Please. (laughs) If you really believe this stuff, stand up. If you don't, just go home. I mean, it's like we need the real believers who really, 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 really believe this stuff. Verse 39, but... This is for you this morning, but we do not belong to those who shrink back. Come on, say that with me. Say, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Come on, let's stand up. I want to pray over you guys. I really feel in my spirit this morning. Whoa. A part of part of me is a little crazy because I've had no sleep, but I am feeling deep in my spirit. The Lord wants to raise this church up and is raising this church up to be a voice of confidence that refuses passivity and refuses tolerance. Listen, you don't tolerate the enemy. <laughs> You don't manage the enemy. (laughs) You slay the enemy. That's how it works. David didn't go out there. Hey, let's just, if we just keep Goliath in this corner over here and we just kind of put some troops around him and he's over here, just hangs out here. We'll be fine. No, he said, we got to slay this thing. (laughs) And there has to be a spirit inside of us. Guys, the powers and principalities reigning over this city, they have to be slayed. And they're slayed by Christians that rise up in a spirit of faith, refusing to buy into fear, refusing to to result in timidity and say, I know who I am in God. Listen, everywhere your foot touches is yours, your neighborhood, your workplace. You command the atmosphere. You are the gateway to the city. Lord, I thank you.
that this is the finest hour of the global church in all of history. I thank you, Lord God, that revival is breaking out in villages across Africa that have never given in to an outside influence. But yet in a moment, a couple people crazy enough to believe a runway can be built, landed a plane and you saved an entire village. I pray, Lord, on the testimony of that faith, on the testimony, God, of what's been shared across the UK, across Iraq, across the world. Lord, we stand on the precedent of of what you've done throughout history. And we say, Lord, we want to take our city. We want to see our neighborhoods taken back. Lord, we want to see the presence of God restored in churches across the UK. I just feel like the Lord is saying this morning, it just takes a simple yes. He's not looking for fancy words. I know some of you London people got really fancy words. I like it. I like it when you guys pray. It just sounds more theologically powerful. But he's not looking for fancy words. He's just looking for people that go, yeah, God, use my little life. One of the things that so moved me is when Heidi first got to Mozambique, she just laid in the dirt with the orphans. She said, God, if you can use my little life, do it. Lord, this, this morning we stand up to fear. We stand up to intimidation. We say we've had enough. We thank you, Lord, that you're baptizing us in a confidence, an otherworldly, courageous spirit. Come on, why don't you put your hand on someone next to you, just on your right and your left, and let's just pray that confidence. Come on, pray that confidence. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 